Thank you so much for your excellent singing tonight. You know, there's just something about that song, isn't there? And I'm kind of curious. I'm going to start off by just asking you, by just show of hands, who's, whose favorite song is O Holy Night? There's got to be a number of hands that are going to go up in this room. I, I know it's mine. I easily put my hand up. It's by far my favorite Christmas carol. You know, I was so curious about how many people might think of O Holy Night's their favorite Christmas carol. I actually took a second this week and I Googled it. I Googled O Holy Night number one. And I put it in. You know how many hits I got? 5.4 million hits in like 0.6 seconds. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty popular song. But did you know, if you did that like 25 years ago, like, like the Christmas of 1997, if you were to Google, you know, Oh Holy Night, if you tried to Google Oh Holy Night, number one, you know how many hits you get? Well, you actually wouldn't get any because Google didn't exist back in 97. But, but, but the song did. <laughs> the song did. It was just as popular then as, as it is still now. There's something about their reverent kind of feel, isn't there? Kind of mixed with those powerful words. That this, this thrill of hope that the weary world rejoices. And, and on the other end of that statement, that yonder breaks this new and glorious morn. There's just something about that that resonates with people. Who, we kind of feel this weariness sometimes this time of year as we're kind of in that final lap. We're about to come to the end of the year. There's a break coming. There's a, a long weekend coming. There's, there's all the busyness of the past month that's leading up to this moment. There's, there's a moment coming. There's that hope. There's this weariness that looks sort of beyond itself in this song. Beyond itself with hopefulness that there's something coming in which we can place our hope and in which we can rejoice. But it begins with this moment of resting in waiting in anticipation. It's kind of what Christmas Eve feels like, doesn't it? This, this time of a bit of weariness, perhaps, of all the planning, the shopping, the preparing. There's still more to do when we're finished here tonight. But there's the thrill of hope based upon a promise. A promise of what tomorrow holds for us with the gathering of family and presents and the laughter of children, the food and the fun, and of course, remembering the birth of a Savior. You know, at the time of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, people had also been in time of waiting, waiting for the fulfillment of a promise that had been made many, many years earlier, 400 years earlier, in fact, yeah, 400 years. That's, that's the gap between the Old Testament, between the old promise, the promise that a Messiah would come to, to the world, to come to all people. The gap between that promise and the New Testament, the, the new promise that the Messiah had arrived. You see, for generations, God had spoken to his people through prophets, and then the final word that we find him speaking comes to the prophet Malachi, and in the very last words of the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the final words of the Old Testament, or there's this promise that one day a messenger would come first who would herald the arrival, who would herald that the Messiah was coming. And he would come first because he would call people to prepare themselves. He would call all who had ears to listen. All who would choose to hear the message, who would call, hear that call and get ready for the Messiah. And after God made that promise, then he stopped speaking. For 400 years, he stopped. And there was silence. Silence. It can be awkward at times, can't it? You ever been in a conversation with somebody and you think it's going really well, we're just, we're jiving, it's, it's, we're connecting, we're talking, and then you like, you, you like run out of words <laughs> and, and that silence enters into the table, you're like, we gotta get the bill, I gotta get out of here, like, like this is just done, we've run out of words. I remember before I was a pastor, I was on a sales trip with my boss once, 
a three-day sales trip in northern British Columbia. Just me, my boss, and my truck. The occasional customer, but beyond that, 72 hours, just the two of us in a vehicle. And it started good talking about, about life and business and future opportunities, but I remember very specifically the physical spot on the highway, four hours from home, 68 hours into a 72-hour trip. I remember very clearly of four hours left to go when suddenly we used up all of our words. And we were in the middle of nowhere. I mean, like, like northern BC, you don't even get CBC radio in this area. Like, like the middle of nowhere. We'd used up all of our words, and it was silent for four hours. And the awkwardness increased. And we had these thoughts in our head of who's going to speak next? Who's going to say the first word? Who possibly has a word worthy of breaking the silence? And we could feel the thrill of hope of the trip coming to an end, <laughs> which eventually did. You know, right up to the time of Jesus' birth, people had a similar experience of the silence and this anticipation with God. But when you get to the end of the New Testament, God does not be silent because he ran out of words. You know why he was silent? God was silent at the end of the New Testament because people stopped listening. He had plenty of words he could have shared, but people stopped listening, so he stopped talking. And the longer the silence lasted, the greater the people's desire for a word. The greater the people had a craving for something to move in their midst. And so that the first word, the first movement of God would have such an incredible impact because the anticipation had been building. And after 400 years of nothing, the anticipation, the desire building, a new and glorious morning was dawning. And it started with an angel, Gabriel, who was sent to announce that God was on the move again. And the angel Gabriel first came to a righteous man named Zechariah, who was a priest serving in the temple. And, and, and he and his wife Elizabeth had been barren, but the angel came and said, you're going to have a son. You're to name him John, and he will be that messenger that was promised. And the next Gabriel went to a young woman in Nazareth named Mary, who was engaged to a man named Joseph. And the angel appeared to both of them and said, he said, Mary will conceive a son, and the son will be of the Holy Spirit, and he will be the son of the Most High. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. As these words are coming to Mary and Joseph, and to Mary in particular, these are words that are simply too amazing, who are too wonderful to comprehend. And so Mary, who's listening not only with her ears, but she's also listening with her heart, responds. And when she responds with what she heard with her ears, she asks the very reasonable and logical question, how is this possible? But remember, she also heard with her heart, and she humbly responded as well. I am the Lord's servant. May it be fulfilled. And nine months later, it was fulfilled in a stable in the town of Bethlehem, as Mary and Joseph gave birth to their firstborn son, and they named him Jesus. And then that night, the night of Jesus' birth, the angel again appeared to shepherds who were out in the fields watching over their flocks by night. And it broke the silence of the night for these shepherds. As the angel declared to them these words, he said, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's the one you've been waiting for. And this will be a sign to you. You will find this baby wrapped in claws and he'll be lying in a manger. And when the angel finished saying these words, the, the sky was filled with a heavenly host who appeared and started praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace upon whom his favor rests. Such an incredible experience in the fields that night compelled these shepherds to go and see this for themselves. And when they went and they found the child, just as they had been told, they found the child 
with Mary and Joseph wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And it moved them to believe, but not only to believe, but to praise God and then go out and to proclaim this good news. To proclaim this message to every single person that they encountered in that town that night. To tell everybody of all that they had heard and all that they had seen. And I wish I could tell you people were listening. I wish I could tell you that when they went out that night that people had their ears turned on, that they had their hearts open, that, that as the shepherds shared this incredible experience, that, that they, people allowed this good news to break the silence of their lives. But that's not what happened. You see, we turn to John's gospel. We read this about Jesus' arrival and people's response. It says, it says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. It it didn't recognize him. Why do you think people didn't recognize him? You know, it's actually, if you think about it, it's not an overly complicated answer to that question, because I really think to some degree we can look at ourselves and find some aspect of the answer. You see, there are some people who wouldn't recognize Jesus, who who wouldn't recognize that God was speaking, that God was moving again. They wouldn't recognize that because, quite simply, they live in this state of denial that God even exists. And, And therefore, logically, why would you listen and why would you look for something that you think doesn't even exist? Now, it doesn't mean God's not speaking. It doesn't mean he's not revealing himself. He very well may be, but these the people who live by this way have the volume turned down to the point where they just, they can't hear it. But then there's others who, who do live by faith in God. They live with faith. But sometimes it's just enough that it, it essentially inoculates them to what they're experiencing. Here's what I mean by that. Like a lot of us this past fall would have gone on a flu shot, right? How, how do these flu shots work? They, they, they give you just a little bit of it. They give you just enough to expose you just a little bit to the virus. And then it builds up a resistance so that you don't get the real thing. I know there are some people when it comes to God and when it comes to Christmas that they've got just enough religion, just enough Jesus, that it actually keeps them from experiencing and seeing the real thing. Even though all this is happening before their very eyes, even though this is happening around them and if they had open ears they could hear, many, many do not recognize him. That many don't receive him, and therefore they miss out on this incredible gift that the presence of Jesus offers to all people. You know, it reminds me of a story that, that I heard recently about a violinist who was playing in a Washington, D.C. subway station. And, and he went down there in the middle of morning rush hour at 7.51 a.m., and he opened up his violin case, and they took out his violin, and he started to play. And here's what was captured on the security cameras of that subway station. Over the next 43 minutes, he played six classical pieces of music, one of which is considered the most intricate song ever written for the violin. And of the 1,097 people who walked by him, 27 people paused to give him money. 
Seven stopped for any amount of time to stop and listen. And in the end of those 43 minutes, he had collected $52.17. $20 of which came from one person who stopped because she recognized who he was. And she recognized and received the gift of music he was offering. You see, this, this man playing the violin, his name is Joshua Bell, and he is considered one of the most talented musicians in the entire world. A seemingly ordinary guy in an old baseball cap in a subway station who two nights earlier had sold out the Boston Theater for thousands of seats for hundreds of dollars per ticket. And he was now in a subway station playing music on a 1713 Stradivarius worth $3.5 million. And aside from one lady, no one recognized him. No one acknowledged his talent. Nobody received the gift that he was offering that morning. And at the end of the social experiment, here's the conclusion that they arrived at. The conclusion they arrived at is this. The extraordinary in the ordinary environment does not shine. Rather, it so often is overlooked and undervalued. The extraordinary in the ordinary environment does not shine. Rather, it is so often overlooked and undervalued. The birth of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, was an extraordinary event with an extraordinary message for all people. But yes, he was born to rather ordinary environments. He was born into a manger in a cave. He was born into poverty. He was born into a family of low social status. He was born into a bustling city who had no time for God. They had stopped listening. But folks, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Because God had picked up the conversation. God had picked up fulfillment of the promise where he left it off in Malachi. A new and glorious morning had dawned that day. And from that very night to the one that we find ourselves on tonight, nothing has ever been the same ever since. And folks, I I believe it is possible for us, for for all of us here and, and in the world around us, I believe it is possible for all of us to see and to hear God in the everyday world around us especially at Christmas. Do you believe that as well? Especially at Christmas, where the themes of Jesus are so much more familiar and so much more regular in our conversations in the world around us. They're so much more prominent. During Christmas, when people's hearts are more open to the name, to the purpose, and to the message of Jesus Christ. But for so many people, it's become common. It's become ordinary. The season has become more secular and less divine. It has become more busy and less peaceful. It has become more burdensome and less joyful. For other people, the story, they've, they've heard it since they were this tall, and they, they have the story of the Christmas events taking place, and it's become common, and it's become familiar. But then for others in our world, it's reached a point where it is so unfamiliar, they're not even listening for it. But it's my prayer. It's my prayer for all of us that we will open our hearts And that we will again hear the story of Jesus Christ being born on Christmas Day. It is my prayer for all of us that we will again have eyes that can see the divine within that incredible story. And if you want to join me in that, it's going to require some of you to stop denying the possibility. To turn up the volume again that you had turned down. 
It's going to require others to, to fully embrace the message that they've been inoculated against, to fully embrace that message and to allow Jesus to fully come in and transform our lives. Because even though these extraordinary events of the first Christmas took place over 2,000 years ago in a rather ordinary environment, God was fulfilling that preeminent promise to send his son Jesus to save all who walk in the darkness of sin and to bring to all people freedom, to bring to all people healing, to bring to all people forgiveness and eternal life for those who will not overlook, for those who will not undervalue this extraordinary gift that is offered to us at Christmas time. As it says in John chapter 1, it says the true light that gives light to all had come into the world. He came to that which was his own. And many didn't recognize him. Many chose not to receive him. But yet, if we continue reading in 1 John, there's this promise that yet to all who did believe, to all who did recognize, to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. And if that call to explore the possibility of Jesus is something that resonates with you this year, I am so glad that you're here tonight. Whether you're joining us on site or if you're, if you're joining us online, I am so glad that you are here tonight. And I want to personally invite you to continue to journey with us here at West Meadows in the new year. I, I want to invite you, if you have questions about Jesus, if you want to explore more about who he is, I want to invite you to come and sign up for Alpha taking place in January, a place where you can ask those questions and find answers in a safe environment. Because never before has such an extraordinary gift and message ever ever been given because it is only the gift of Jesus and the message of the new life he brings that brings us eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. This candle I lit just a moment ago is referred to as the Christ candle. It's a single candle with a, a, a flame that burns bright and can be seen by all. You know, in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to pass light from here to all of you. And as you pass it from yourself to your neighbor and so on throughout the room, this entire room will become illuminated. And as it does, I, I want to invite you to, to see this as representing the power of Jesus' presence in the world around us. That as we receive his light to ourselves and then pass it on to the world around us, that it has the power to illuminate lives all around. You know, as this light approaches you in just a moment, you're going to reach out and you're going to receive it. And when you receive it, it becomes yours. And you then become identified with the source from which this light came, with the true light spoke of in John chapter 1. And as it comes to you and illuminates your world and you share it with others, it illuminates their lives as well. Now, some of you may choose to just simply go through the motions of lighting the candle and be like, it's just an ordinary flame. But I want to invite you to instead see the extraordinary meaning behind this tonight. And to see the difference that Jesus could make in your lives and the lives of those all around you.